I'm Are here, you for, here it. for it. I'm here for there it. There we go. <laughs> I didn't have my headphones in. Hey. Hey. Happy, Happy Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Happy Day to all the mothers out there. Yes. Which do you have do you have a Mother's Day uh story to tell? Well, uh, uh, gonna... you did. You did. You didn't well, do it. Well, well, I mean kind of. So last week we started us we started an episode and I couldn't get through it. I just I I, I like I, I wasn't sometimes when you research something bad for long enough for that many days in a row, it's just like, oh, I was just I couldn't. I couldn't get through it. But we're gonna do it again. Um and we're gonna get through it this time. Uh, it's it is kind of sad that it's Mother's Day and I'm telling the story because this story is about there's well there's two stories about little girls who were tortured um, and as a mom of a girl it is when you start to put it into a personal feel like ooh it'll it'll Isn't take it, you down it's horrendous quick. yeah it'll take you down so that being said listener discretion is a is advised today big As always. <laughs> this one even more so like some of them i don't even bother like because it's like you know what you're getting into when you listen to this show but some episodes uh some story matter is so hard to get through that i just feel like you need to know right ahead uh you will not be the same after this you're never gonna be the same yeah you will not be the same okay dog i'm gonna need you not to do that uh and you know i write up these episodes and i have to have something tangible in my hands just to like so i can follow along with bullet points and stuff um and i was out of paper (laughs) so I printed it on cardstock. So if you hear a lot of paper sound in the background, that's why. Because when I got up to print this this morning, we only had one piece of copier paper left. And I didn't know that. I don't even remember ever buying copier paper ever. I just know that you never run out. And apparently I have. So I got to go hey. buy copier paper. Yes. Did your did your kiddo give you her, your Mother's Day gift? She gave me quite a few, and I was floored. Um, I know what you got for Mother's Day because I was cold and asked what size to get. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, but so did, did you really not yeah. give an answer? You didn't tell him. He called I, me and said what size to get. I was like, well, tops or bottoms. Well, he asked me what size dress you would wear, and I told him what I thought. I was like, I'm almost positive, but, you know. And then I confused him because I was like, uh, if it's a knit-type dress, then, you know, this size would work. And then he just gave up, I guess. So, sorry, Bill. Um, Yeah, then he called me. It's it's all good. (laughs) I'm I'm still stoked that my kids... Uh, remembered a dress that I picked out weeks ago. Well, yeah, and uh, Brody w- was like, you know, I'm I know exactly what dress it is. So, but they didn't know what size to get you. So, anyways, I I, I got a cute little coupon book 
which I want to cash in all of them immediately. Right. I got a skull, which is cool. Sweet. I put it on the mantle. Uh, Cameron painted a picture of the two of us. At I school. know that was so beautiful. So that was precious. And she got me rose jelly. Okay. I guess we had a vendor yesterday who was set up specifically for Mother's Day because they had gift bags and stuff. Um, I put mom's Mother's Day gift into that bag <laughs> after I opened it. But yeah, it was like homemade jellies and jams and stuff. And this one's rose and it's very sweet. It's it's very good. Um, That's awesome. So I got I got spoiled. And yeah, you did. Yesterday I got steak dinner. It nice. was it was awesome. So and you know, like I got to lay around after work and not like have to help and do stuff. So it was pretty cool. Tell me about this skull. Uh, it's it's not real, but it's a three quarter skull, a human skull a replica, and it's freaking cool. cool. I'll show you. Yeah, send pics. Yeah, I'm kind of adding it because I've been redoing my mantle in more of a, you know, Edgar Allan Poe-ish feel. Goth. Yeah. So that skull sits right up there perfectly. Hex, yeah. It's right there with my pheasant taxidermy and my old medical books and the owl foot that I'm not supposed to have because that's illegal. Don't turn me in. Your demonology book. Uh, no, that's not up there yet. I don't think that's going to fly, but we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why it wouldn't with everything Uh, else. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, people are already worried about me enough as it is. Um, it's like kiddo is super stoked on the lower half of a deer jaw that he found. Oh, and he like plucked some of the teeth out. Brody got sick. Graham's like, love it. Brody's like, I was disgusted. Oh no. It's pretty gross when you look at the teeth like cavity, like the the teeth cavities and teeth and but well, have you ever seen uh like a toddler skull? No. Because you can see all the adult teeth like up in their jaws. Yes, yes. Freaky. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So last episode that we did air two weeks ago was about torture so i do have two stories of torture uh i wanted to give a name and a face to the uh to the torture because it's really easy to remove the person from the torture when you're just talking about the different types of torture you know it, it doesn't have well, yeah, you're like, okay, the person is being put into this contraption and blah, blah, blah. It's not personal at all. Well, it so. was, Yeah, because so many people were, this was something, this was like public displays of punishment yeah, and yeah. torture. Right. So, yeah, there is absolutely, like, the human being that went through that that torture... Right. There was too many of them. And then to put yourself in their shoes, they don't have a name per and se. Each one of those people had parents, had siblings, had kids of their, you know, each one of those people could have had a whole, they had a whole life before that. So that's why you I, know what I, wanted, I wanted to put a personal touch on it. I think of Braveheart, like the first, mm. 
personal thing of it, I guess. Well, you know what? No. Indiana Jones watching the dude get his hand cut off and then his heart ripped out. Oh. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't even remember that. But like the hand Halima. getting cut off. I, I was horrified. But but the other thing I'm thinking of is Braveheart when yeah. he's killed at the end. And these are both like fictional movies, but it's funny they... you mentioned Braveheart because our next episode is going to have something to do with something that's in the movie that really I, it I really isn't never touched saw the on. movie. Just the torture scene. Oh, that's good. That's you know, good. not weird <laughs> at all. I know. Don't ask me why. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention until I was like. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, probably. But there's a yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to get into it just yet, but there's a part of this movie that um mentions a an act that we're going to be talking about next. So fabulous. Anyways, um all right. Anyway, back to, you know, your stuff. What's up? Yeah. So, both of these stories will describe just horrific ways to die um if you're sensitive in any way to topics like rape torture crimes against children this is not the episode for you we will see you next week when we talk about braveheart um but these two stories uh they're both bad but the second one is just really really bad really bad um and i know you because we did record the first story last week. So this is not going to come as a shock to you. Um, so yeah, it go, go ahead. Cause I'm familiar with this story anyway, and it's absolutely horrendous. You mean and, this, the second one or the first one? Mm, I forget which one switch. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about Sylvia Lichen first. Yeah. Sylvia Lichen. That's the one. Okay, yeah, um, we, this is the one we did get through last time, but we're gonna, you know, we're gonna have to do it again. So just we're just gonna us. have to do it again. Well, maybe I can add a little something to it, and um, also I want to mention there. There's a book called The Girl Next Door, mm -hmm. and um, man, it really mimics her story, yeah. almost like one of the kids that were there watching could have written it oh okay and then it's, maybe they did i uh, i don't know i don't remember if the book was uh, based on um true life events but it was a, uh, it was a it was a good book and it just reminded me of her story so much okay well it had to have at least this story must have gone into the creation of that book because this is a very well-known story especially back when it happened this was huge news so I mean, the author may not have used this story particularly, but it definitely um, encouraged him down the road. Oh, it sh it surely did. It surely did. Because a lot of the things that happened to her, he mentions in the book. Yeah. Which so. is, which, which some bizarre things happened. So anyway. Yeah. Some very, some very strange things happened. Um, so Sylvia Lichen, this story involves two families in Indianapolis, Indiana, and we're only in about the 1960s, the mid-1960s when this happens, 1965. Uh, the Likens and the Banaszewskis. So these are the two families that are involved in this story. The Likens family is a carnival family. Now, they're not performers, 
but they travel with the carnival to sell goods or you know they're they're carny people okay vendors yeah they're vendors um but you know they have a lot of kids and some of the kids don't travel with them all the time so they need they have family that they stay with they wanted they wanted two of the girls to have a normal life um but you know also they're girls and not really helpful in the carny business anyway okay so we've got lester and betty and their five children now at the time of this story the oldest set of twins daniel and diana are 18 um diana is married and out of the house the youngest two are also twins benny and jenny they are uh 14 years old at the time and the middle child is sylvia and she's 16 so we've got two twins sylvia and then another set of twins wow that were boom you know two years two years two years yeah i know (laughs) rough so a set of twins Mm -hmm. diana diana and daniel daniel holy mackerel sylvia sylvia and then jenny and benny yes and they're they range in age from 18 to 14 years old okay all right then you have the banishevsky family that is mother gertrude who is a single mother she's been married multiple times uh and she's not good at it um so she has old gertie yeah gertie's got a rough life she lives alone with her seven kids so we've got paula who's the oldest at 17 stephanie 15 john jr is 12 maria is 11 shirley 10 james 8 and she's got a one-year-old named dennis jr from her most recent marriage yeah a baby baby yeah so she had been married recently and divorced uh to dennis and dennis they had dennis jr and then dennis is gone from the story at this time story happens when the lichen mother betty is arrested for petty theft so without betty lester's having a really hard time caring for all these kids especially the two girls who aren't working to help make ends meet and that would be jenny and sylvia so the 14 year old girl and the middle child sylvia okay and daniel and diana are out well diana's out daniel and benny work work. yes okay okay so they you know the boys work so Um, that makes okay so there's only the two girls left right that you know to take care of per se that are working they're not they're not bringing in any cash to help while betty's gone so it's just it makes it that much harder these two are in school and lester wants to keep them in school um he does you know they don't work in the carnival with them um these two girls have remained in school they're you know they've never missed any years of school so he kind of he wants to keep it that way but the boys have always worked jenny the youngest does have polio um so she is she's crippled but she's very bright you know she's able to manage well enough on her own um but it is kind of just another drag for the dad while betty is in in the clink you know she's in prison (laughs) in the clink yes so with one less set of hands things are getting super tight and this is when Sylvia's friend Paula Banishevsky, 
the 17, the oldest child, uh, invites the two girls over. And when mom Gertrude hears their story, she and uh, Sylvia and Jenny's dad, Lester, work out a plan for the two girls to remain at the Banaszewski's house for a small weekly payment. That way the girls can remain in school and Lester can still travel with the carnival. So Sylvia was friends with Paula. Yes. At school. Okay. They were school friends. Okay. Um, they're in the same grade. They're a year apart, but they're in the same grade. Um, so that, you know, they work this out. And on, on the 4th of July of 1965, Jenny and Sylvia move in. So Gertrude is like, Lester, don't you worry. I'm going to take care of them like they're my own. And initially, that is kind of how it goes. Now, Gertrude is not the easiest mom, period. So treating them like her own really isn't like this pamper session in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, they're still treated like any of the other kids in the house. Until one day when Lester is late on his payment. Uh-oh. The payment doesn't come in in time. So when that $20 isn't there, Gertie is pissed. And she is quoted as saying, I took care of you little bitches for a week for nothing. Like, what? <sighs> I don't know. Anyways, so to vent her frustration, she begins to beat the girls with this thick wooden paddle. She even beat them um, with Paula, the oldest Banaszewski would like the oldest Paula would be like you know the girls did this the girls did that and like so she would kind of spur on these beatings a little bit but she had mentioned to her mom that the girls are sneaking food at night um and they got a pretty bad whooping for that as well wow so Gertrude at some point and we're not sure why but she starts to focus strictly on sylvia maybe she feels bad that jenny is a cripple you know she's got polio i shouldn't have said a cripple that sounds so terrible oh my god edit it out it did Ugh! a I'm cripple so that sorry. she is crippled that she is crippled not a cr oh please forgive me y'all okay we're so always learning at least you at least you caught it Oh, but that's horrible. I, I, that is not how I'm... But anyways, I'm just really... It's early. Any Okay, so I apologize. Uh, maybe she saw some potential in Sylvia that she didn't have in her life. You know, Sylvia is this bright, beautiful young girl. She's got a lot going on for her. She's got a bright future ahead of her. So maybe Gertrude had saw, seen something like deep down in her subconscious that just pissed her off about Sylvia, but she just focuses strictly on Sylvia from here on out. So all hell breaks loose. This abuse started merely as just beatings. And I say merely as beatings, like it's that's easy. Being spanked with a paddle is not fun in any way, shape no. or form. And having it happen frequently is not pleasant either because wounds will start and wounds won't heal. Yeah, and bruises, like yes. bone bruises even. Yeah, so yeah. even just the beatings, and she that's bad enough. But we got to throw in starvation. So she's also forcing Sylvia to eat rotten food out of the trash can because Sylvia is just not worth, you know, regular food at this point. 
Um, in late August, Sylvia is subjected to some severe humiliation. Paula told her mom uh, that Sylvia had a boyfriend. And when Gertrude asks Sylvia if they'd ever done anything, Sylvia is really kind of unsure of how to take that statement. And she replied, I guess so. You know, because she's just, have you ever done anything with your boyfriend? Her mind's not going straight to sexual. Her mind's going to, have you done anything with your boyfriend? Sure, I have. I've walked with, you know. So she's, yeah. it's an innocent thing. So she, when she says, I guess so, explaining they had gone roller skating with boys before, Sylvia told her sister Jenny and Stephanie Banikow, ba uh, Banishevsky, the uh, second oldest uh, she told those two that she had once laid down under the covers with her boyfriend. Uh-oh. Yeah. So Gertrude asked Sylvia why she did that. And Sylvia just said, I I, you know, I don't know. More than likely, you know, she was talked into it by her boyfriend. Nothing happened, but. Uh, how about because I'm a teenage kid? Right. Right. So Gertrude, after she asked Sylvia, you know, why she did it. And she says, I don't know. A few days later, Gertrude tells Sylvia that she looks pregnant to which Sylvia jokingly says, maybe I should diet. You know, she doesn't go, I'm not, you know, she doesn't get defensive. She just right. kind of shrugs it off. And apparently this is not funny to Gertrude and, and or Paula, who is at this point, a pregnant teenager out of wedlock. Keep that what? in mind. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, the daughter, the oldest daughter of Gertrude is pregnant by a boy from school and not married. Just keep that in mind. So Gertrude pulls Sylvia in front of all the kids and says, girls who do something with boys get pregnant and kick Sylvia in the crotch. Wow. Paula also gets in on the abuse by knocking Sylvia off a chair, telling her she doesn't, she's not fit to sit in a chair. Oh, okay. While she's pregnant. And they're friends. Right, 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 right. Okay. So yeah. the Banishevskis start getting other neighborhood kids in on the abuse of Sylvia. Now, keep in mind, nobody is unaware that this abuse is going on in the house. Nobody, even the baby knows like this is no. very, it's not being hidden from any of the kids. Damn. So now, where's that baby now? God. Yeah. You can actually, well, we'll get to what happened to them later, but yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the dysfunction. Shit. They, yes. They start getting neighborhood kids in on this abuse. So boyfriends of the daughters, um, neighbors, the boys next door that come over and play or whatever. Like they're all getting in on this. One night, a neighbor boy named Randy Gordon Lepper is over for dinner. When Gertrude takes Sylvia's hot dog away from her and she passes it around the table, allowing each kid to add something to the hot dog, whether mm -hmm. it be spices or condiments or whatever. So they force Sylvia to then eat it. And when she does, she vomits, of course. Oh, my God. What they put on it? They put just all kinds of different kind of... They loaded it down, which is... Rose jelly? Spite, yeah, rose jelly, for sure. <laughs> so she, she vomits this up. And Aww. they make her eat the, the vomit. 
uh, yeah. So Sylvia, in it a in it a she okay. So at this point, obviously Sylvia's not not feeling super good. So she does try to get a little retribution at school. She's mad and right. Oh yeah. So so she starts a rumor at school that Stephanie and Paula were prostitutes, which Paula is pregnant. So so you know uh, yeah. So she's why having she, the sex? Why she threw uh, you know Stephanie in on that? I don't I don't know but so she does start this rumor um and Stephanie's the one that put the rose jelly on the hot dog right after school Stephanie questioned Sylvia about this and she did admit to starting the rumor to which Stephanie beats the tar out of Sylvia for so so how old is Stephanie Stephanie's 15 she's She's the second oldest. Okay, but she's probably been through some shit. So yeah. she's probably pretty scrappy. Right. So Stephanie is beating the shit out of Sylvia. And Stephanie's boyfriend, we've got Coy Randolph, who's 15. He comes over and he also starts to brutally attack her. Slapping her, banging her head against the wall, etc. So Gertrude gets in on it with her paddle. They're all just walloping this girl. For starting this rumor. And the rumor's not cool. I get it. But you are talking about a pregnant teen. And one that's been Maybe they you. were prostitutes. Who knows? Well, And they've also been brutalizing her. So she's mad. She's going to, you know. I, I get it. I get it. Now, I you kind of know when you say that she starts this rumor. And gets caught. That she's going to get hurt for it pretty bad. She's but, just a kid. Right. Yeah. So on another occasion, Paula breaks her own wrist while beating Sylvia up. Holy crap. But once Paula has a cast, the beatings just got worse because she's now got a weapon. Yikes. Yeah, so she broke her own wrist hurting a girl and then got the cast and that was just more weight to beat her with. Gertrude is now accusing Sylvia of prostitution all the time. Like, just calling her a whore and it just like for some reason it's just in Gertie's head that she is this little spawn of Satan and must be destroyed I don't know why I you know there's no reason for this constantly ranting and humiliating her and it's to the point where Gertrude has Jenny which is Sylvia's younger sister the one that's got polio she's got her joining in on the brutality but if mm. Jenny only did it because if she didn't comply, she would be beaten as well. Awful. It, it was not like she, Jenny's mindset never went to this. We've got to completely destroy Sylvia. She was not, you know, she never. She didn't want to participate. Yeah. They never, they never turned her in any way. So she's doing this strictly, which is just horrifying. I can't imagine having to hurt you. Right. I, I don't know. So anyways, neighborhood kids uh, would be invited over to join in on the abuse with Gertrude egging it on. Sylvia would be beaten repeatedly. She would be tied up and used um, to help the neighborhood boys practice their judo class uh she would be cut all over her body um she had her skin burnt with cigarettes 
she had severely severe injuries to her genitalia um, because they would force her to take bottles and masturbate herself in front of everybody. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, she'd be stripped naked. Uh, what a freaking sadistic! Yeah, she would have. She would be given a glass bottle and forced to use that in front of all the kids. Um, which the mental humiliation with that, especially because her sister Jenny is sitting right there watching it. Wow. Uh, it's just horrible. But so Sylvia was at this point forbidden to go to school. She was forbade, if you will. <laughs> she, um, I guess she needed gym clothes, which when we were kids, yeah, we had like a gym oh, uniform. God, I don't know that they still do gym uniforms or when they stopped doing it. So, yeah, you would have a special uniform that you would wear to PE um, and she needed that outfit. But Gertrude refused to buy it for her. So, Syl and, and she wasn't allowed to really talk to her parents at this point. So, she couldn't ask her dad to get her the uniform. Um, I, honestly, I really don't know that anybody checked in on them, like, with phone calls. Right. It, it blows my mind. When this all starts to fall apart, you'll see. Um, How long have they been with Gertrude? Oh, it's only been a couple months. Okay. How what is that sound? A bird. A, a, a bird. I was like, that is a... Oh, bird. I know. It has such a loud, squeaky little thing. I think it, it's like... Oh. It's like a baby sound. Okay. So three of them. All three of them. Oh, four. Okay. Oh, they're precious. So, four... Okay. So, she needed the gym clothes. Still, uh... Gertrude wouldn't provide them for her. So Sylvia was kind of forced to steal the uniform. Oh, no. Because <clears throat> she needed it for school. So she's, you know, she's caught. And for this act of theft, she was whipped <laughs> with that a three-inch wide leather belt. And she was pulled from school at this point. Oh. I know. Gertrude would go on and on about the evils of premarital relations. Keep in mind her own daughter is pregnant. and out of Yeah, get out of here. And yeah. everyone would crowd around Sylvia and hit her. So why did she not tell the parents? Yeah, why, or why did somebody. Anybody, why didn't anybody tell the parents? The girls were terrified. Jenny especially. She struggled so badly with wanting to tell her parents. But being afraid of retaliation you know she just she's she's witnessing her sister not only being beat but at this point her sister's sleeping in the basement uh on the dirt floor she's not she's tied up she's not allowed visitors but jenny would try to sneak down there and cheer her up um but she Aww. can see she can see the light is fading from her eyes you know it's yeah it's pretty clear um the messed up part of this, though, and yes, I'm clapping. The messed up part. <laughs> Lester and Betty, they actually did go to visit the girls. What? They went twice. So, yeah. And they never saw anything wrong. Oh, nothing. okay. Or if they did, it was nothing that wasn't, like, super easily explained away. Like, the, the final visit from the Lycan parents, they stated that there was no visible signs of abuse 
There was no visible signs of that abuse was apparent. Once they left, though, Gertrude is recorded as telling Sylvia, what are you going to do now, Sylvia? Now they're gone. Yeah. Like, they didn't see anything. Right. Taunting her. That was the last time that the parents ever saw their daughter alive. Um, in September, Jenny and Sylvia encountered their, their older sister, Diana, at a local park. So they were allowed to leave the house, but in groups, you know, and, and they did. Jenny and Sylvia happened to run into their older sister, Diana, who's out of the house, married. Okay. And they, they tell Diana what's going on. But Diana's like, you know, I know it's got to be terrifying moving in with a family that's not your own. These girls are probably exaggerating. But how are they beating this girl so badly? And nobody can see any signs of this. Like, she's sleeping on the basement floor. How did yeah? How did the parents not notice that she was in bad shape? My guess is, you know, these are lower income families, and this is the '60s. These girls probably, you know, they play outside a lot. Maybe they are just dirty kids. I, I don't know. I can't. I can't really wrap my head. I would know immediately if, just by the way Cameron was acting, that you know, right? Yeah. That's the thing. You know your kid, right? It's However, my- they had five kids yeah i mean and gertrude had seven so i don't know i i don't know but anyways and how could a mom do that right so diana just kind of goes you know these girls are probably just exaggerating this stuff and it haunts diana she does regret not checking into it at this point but uh several weeks later they encounter diana again at the same park this time, however, they had Maria Banaszewski, the 11-year-old, with them. Diana gives her sister a sandwich after, you know, she explains how hungry she is. Yeah. And, of course, Maria goes straight back and tells her mom, who chokes and bludgeons her for gluttony for eating the sandwich. Wow. Then she's forced into a scalding hot bath to cleanse her, her sin away. Uh, when she would faint from the shock of the hot water, they would bang her head on the tub until she'd wake up again. Horrendous. Yeah. So a lot of torture has to do with just dragging stuff out. Like they want, they don't want you to pass out. So they're going to bring you back. But, yeah. You know, they, they want they, you to feel every bit of it. And it's just, it's like psychopath behavior. But so, um, oh. Hold on one second. Oh, yeah. Shortly after this incident, the father of a neighborhood boy calls into the school and reports a girl with large open sores on her body. So there is one of the neighborhood boys that does witness this and he is not all about it. So he does tell his dad and his dad calls in an anonymous tip. Okay. Good job, kiddo. Right. So he says there's a girl in that house that's got open sores all over her body. So since the Lycans had not attended school for quite some time, the school nurse went to make a house call. Oh, they took Jenny out of school too? Yes. At this point, Jenny is also out of school. Okay, but all the other kids are going? All of Gertrude's kids are going, yes. Bullshit. So the school nurse goes over and Gertrude told the nurse that the girls had run away and that these sores were due to their poor personal hygiene. Oh, okay. 
which kind of goes along with that like maybe they these kids are just always dirty you know nobody's taking care of them and bathing them every night like we do our kids right but she's also got seven of them I don't, hell i don't know i'm just trying to i'm trying to rationalize any part of it i can and i'm just picturing like ragamuffin like there's no rationalization there's no there's i i'm sorry i cannot wrap my brain around around it i guess like you have so many kids but like you know your kids and they look at you like yeah you can read their eyes pretty if something was wrong with cameron you can see it when she knows she can't like if she can't say something out loud or whatever like you can just like you can read their eyes pretty well even if it's something that little, I wouldn't, but I also know, like, if I see a bruise pop up on her, on her leg, because you know, I bathe her every night, like, on her chest or something, I know immediately. Right. And but, say, what happened? Right. Um, all right. So, we've got this nurse that went, and they were told, she's told, like, yeah, the kids had sores on them because they have terrible hygiene, but these little brats also run away a lot. So, you know, I don't know what happens when they're gone and they just show back up. So Which, again, do they, I wonder, do they run away? No, 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 they don't ever, they never, well, you'll get to a point where Sylvia does attempt to escape and run okay. away. Okay. But, uh, so, all right, we've got the, that one call into the school. Then we've got another set of neighbors who had initially thought Gertrude was this like amazing mom and caretaker. But they did witness the kids abusing the Lycan girls, specifically Paula, who would boast about abusing her. And these neighbors later testified that on a, one of their last visits to the house, they did notice that the girl was zombie-like. But they did also admit they never reported it to authorities. Okay. On October 1st of 1965, Diana finally discovers where her sisters are being held. Um, she didn't know where they were. She didn't know where this house was that they're being kept. You know, she's moved out of the house. She's not been in on any of this. She's been living her own life, but she did run into them twice and she's been worried about them and she's been trying to figure out where they are. So she does finally discover this. Okay. Uh, excuse me, but Burp. I did. Uh, but Gertrude, refuses access to the girls when she goes on October 1st she um she is told that by Gertrude that her parents have said that you know you are not to have any access to your sisters like because you're such a bad influence or whatever oh whatever she makes up something that you know she's not allowed in because her their parents have specifically told her don't let Diana around the girls okay Okay. So that's so Diana's turned away. Approximately two weeks later, Diana sees Jenny and asks about Sylvia. And Jenny replies, I can't tell you or I'll get in trouble. Oh, no. Right. So Sylvia did not make it to the park that day. Um, over time, Sylvia does become incontinent from the abuse. Um, She's also denied access to any bathrooms, so she's forced to just lay there and go on herself. She would be tied up naked, rarely fed, and frequently deprived of water. A lot of the time when she's tied up, her feet are barely touching the ground. 
which is mm. in itself just the cruelest way to That's tie someone up horrendously cruel yes <clears throat> so gertrude would falsely accuse sylvia of insulting the kids like to egg on the abuse still you know if, if the abuse by the her children to sylvia would die down she would just throw in something to kind of pick it back up you know like did i tell you what sylvia said about you that kind of shit neighborhood kids would uh, at this point pay to see sylvia and to abuse her there would be a line of kids what? after pay yeah. for it yep after these beatings she would be placed in a scalding hot tub and then salt would be rubbed into her skin she would have like dirty diapers because she's you know the she's freaking incontinent they're not yeah. even letting her go relieve herself they'd smear dirty diapers on her wounds um, they would pretend to give her food and then take it away like oh. you look like you need something and at this point the kids have now burned onto her stomach the words i am a prostitute and i am proud burned her yeah they used uh like metal and they would heat it up and uh. they they formed those letters across her abdomen and then you'll also see in the pictures that i'll post that they start to also do a letter on her chest and uh they they flip the metal hook the wrong way so the letter is exactly i'll show you that but Yes, so they they burned these words. There's a picture of that? Yes, there's pictures of her body from her autopsy. Oh, uh, okay. But I'll it I'll I'll just post the one of her abdomen with the words burned onto it. Um on October 25th, Blake and Sylvia and Jenny, they do try to escape. Uh they had overheard a conversation about um, between John Jr. and Gertrude, because John Jr. at this point is like one of Gertrude's right hand men. Oh, along, yeah. Along with these two neighborhood boys, the two boyfriends that I mentioned um, earlier, they're also very much in a part of this. Um, they had had a conversation about, you know, leaving her to die somewhere. And she was, she panicked. So she does. She tries to leave, but she is caught before she can get to the door. Um, oh, she had she, she had to make it, you know, up the stairs of the basement and to the front door, and she did not because she was caught. Um, she was forced to eat toast. Oh, okay. Without any water, she's just given dry toast. And when it wouldn't go down her throat, they'd force it because her body would just reject it. it was oh, I wonder her. if they were trying to, like, make her die of choking. Yes. Yeah, essentially. So her body kept rejecting any food and they would take a curtain rod and force it down her throat. Jesus. Yeah. Um, that, just awful. That evening... Um, it was heard by the neighbor. They heard the neighbors would hear like beating on the walls and someone trying to get help. They heard, you know, she's down in the basement and she's beating on whatever she can and making as much noise as she can. And the neighbors did say they heard that. Uh, one neighbor said they were going to call the police, but the sounds eventually stopped. Like they would tell themselves, okay, 
if it lasts another hour, I'm calling the police. That kind of that kind of horrible shit that happens a lot in these stories where the neighbor does hear it and they're like, okay, if this stops, then I won't make a phone call. Mm. And that was the case with this. Uh, the next day, Sylvia is dead. Uh, she was found dead in the basement. Oh. Gertrude beat her body with a book, screaming faker, because she did not believe that she was actually dead. No, um, bitch, you killed her. Right. She sent one of the neighborhood boys, who was a part of all this, to a payphone down the road to call the police. <clears throat> the police find her crippled, emaciated body on a soiled mattress in the basement. Her body had been covered in rubbing alcohol, uh, like they had tried to get rid of some sort of evidence of something. Um, the Banachevskis were clutching their Bibles and put on one hell of a show. Jenny recited the rehearsed story that she was supposed to tell the cops, <clears throat> but when all the ban- when she's out of earshot of everybody. She does tell the police, you get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. Yeah. God. So they do. And Jenny's statement led to the arrest of Gertrude, Paula, Stephanie, and John Jr. The same day, neighborhood boys Coy Hubbard and Richard Hobbs are also arrested. Um, They were held without bail. Later, five other neighborhood kids would also be arrested. Wow, that's a whole lot of people. Yes. The autopsy revealed she had suffered in excess of 150 wounds. She was extremely emaciated. She was covered in burns and bruises, extreme muscle and nerve damage. Her vagina had swollen shut. Uh, She had bitten through her own lip from the pain of Mm. her beatings. Her lip was actually uh, detached from her chin. Wow. Justice was not ever really served, though. Gertrude was a model inmate. She found God and was known as the den mother of prison. All the kids got, like, some small sentence. Paula was out of jail by 1972. Gertrude, who stated she had been on drugs when this whole thing had happened and doesn't remember hurting the girl... She was let out of prison in 1985, so 20 years is all she served. Wow. For this horrible, horrible death. Yeah, for murder. Wow. Uh, yeah, like, the all the kids involved maybe got a couple months, you know, in juvie, but nothing big. Paula, you know, Paula was out very quickly. She I would was love out. to know where these kids are now, like... Well, I, I would Gert- like to know what bad things happened to them. No, Gertrude is is dead. Um, she Bye, died. Gertie. Of, she died of cancer. She was a heavy heavy smoker, and she did die of cancer. Um, and when you look at her picture, you just you're like, she looks mean. She looks like a Disney villain. Yeah, you know what? I think I glasses. She's just she's. Uh, I mean, you'll see. She just looks like she's got an over-exaggerated makeup look with the big arched eyebrows. And she just looks like she looks. Yes. She looks like she's going to irritate Murder your children. Yes. That is what, I mean, it's just, even just looking at her older pictures when all this happened, I wouldn't leave my kid with her. 
she looks mean. She looks like she would beat the shit out of my kid. Ugh. Yeah. Anyways. So that is the story of Sylvia Lycan. So that was that was like a Mother's Day story. She's a bad mom. Very bad mom. Very Awful. bad mom. This next one, though. Is, I don't even know if I can do it. It is it is going to change you forever. Fuck. Okay. So that is your, you know, here's your warning. I want you to know I have anxiety. It's bad. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> so I've known about this story for quite some time. Um, but I had to do, you know, a lot of research to get a lot of the details done. And I, because I wanted to do this girl all the respect I, I can. Because she deserves all the respect in the world. So... This story is about Junko Furuta, uh, a Japanese schoolgirl who, uh, her case is sometimes also called, it's got this really weird long name. Really? Uh, the Concrete Encased High School Girl Murder Case. Which, what? Yeah, we'll get into that. But, um, of course, that's also, it's, this is a Japanese case, so that name probably is a lot cooler in Japanese. I imagine. Oh, yeah. Try to pronounce that. Yeah. It just doesn't translate to English very well. So, here's your second warning for content. And I mean it because this crime is the most horrifying one I have ever heard. And it will stay with you forever, like I said. Uh, so, if you are still here, after I've said all this, let's get into the story of Junko Furuta. Alright. So, to really explain this story, I need to start by giving you a little history lesson um founded in the 17th century the yakuza also known as the extreme path is a transnational organized crime syndicate so it's I thought everybody's that was, out no man it's motorcycle people ride i thought that was a lion i was like holy crap yeah i now reside in the jungle yes you do Okay, so the Yakuza is this very, very powerful gang. It is mafia, for sure. So, like, the Yakuza, they don't see themselves as bad, per se. They call themselves a chivalrous organization, but this is the mafia, okay? Okay, the Japanese mafia. The Japanese mafia that is so big, it now covers areas outside of Japan. They also have a little fun tradition of cutting off their left pinky at, each, at each knuckle. For any, like, times they break a rule in their thing. So, it's very common to see someone without their left pinky and they, they are known. They're all, oh, that guy's in the Yakuza. So, they will wear, like, pinky prosthetics so that you don't know they're Yakuza. Pinky anyway. extenders? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It is a very, it's a very big uh, business to create pinky prosthetics and they'll have like a whole lot of them for when they're tan or in the summertime or whiter <laughs> yeah. i'm dead serious like that's they do and they're also the ones that they're they're always super well dressed they are always dressed to the nines but they're also those ones that you see with the very elaborate body tattooing like chest oh but okay. to back to legs you know the japanese the full body tattooing um, okay they also, they're 
known for their slick back hair. Like they have a very specific look other than just their pinkies missing. Um, the Yakuza is still known as the most sophisticated and wealthiest crime organization to date. This organi- organization still has well over 12,000 members. And because of that, I will not be speaking about them any, any bad way any longer. Okay? Because I don't want to die. We don't want to die. Yeah, they're still very much out there. And I'm not going to say a whole lot about them as a, a group. Uh, but anyways, they do play a part in this. So uh, I do need you to understand that there is a huge draw to such a group to understand fully how and why this took place at all. Yeah, pretty powerful. They're very powerful. And they start them very young between 16 to 18 years old they have multi-levels of their organization so when you're a teenager you're brought into like the lower rung the lower echelon and you work your way up so imagine you've got these boys these teenagers who want desperately to be brought up into the yakuza um and so they're trying to impress everyone you know they're trying to do things that they think will get them points with the yakuza okay okay understood all right so we've got 18 year old hiroshi miyano and he's like this school bully guy he's just always been just a piece of shit okay just a piece of shit kid hiroshi Uh, yes hiroshi and he attends the uh, Yashio Manami High School in Japan. He had three friends who were already brought into that lower rung of the Yakuza. Okay. So he wants that kind of, he wants to be with them. You know, he, he wants to be in that lower rung with them. He wants his way into the Yakuza. Um, so he wants to do whatever he can to get up with his friends. Okay. He wants that kind of power and prestige that the Yakuza brings. And I get it. I do. I mean, that's the draw of any gang, I suppose. Um, now, Money, this, power. Right. So at yeah. this point, the story, is, the story differs at this point. Um, so some sources say he has a crush on a young girl at his school. And her name is Junko Furuta. She's this beautiful, determined 16-year-old with a bright future. She had just landed her dream job. It was lined up for her right after she graduates high school. Okay, she's set to graduate high school in 1989. She's got her dream job lined up for right after she graduates. She's super excited. She's a very popular, smart, pretty girl. Uh, She was super kind, but she was not into dating. And she did turn down Hiroshi's advances. So he wasn't happy about that. Oh, God. So that's how some people believe this gets started. Okay. I'm with you. On the night of November 25th, we have Junko leaving um, after her. She had a after school job at a plastics factory. Okay. Plastic molding. Um, And she's on the night of November 25th. She's walking home. And she's, you know, she's singing and there, I guess her favorite show called Tondo was on and she was kind of hurrying home to catch Tondo. Tondo. So it's, yeah, it's called, or Tondo translates to dragonfly. 
Oh, it's her favorite show, and like it, it said that she, um, she That's really precious. She dreamt of being like this famous singer. She was really big. I think Tonda was like some sort of American Idol type thing because it does correlate those two. You know, she's wants to be this famous singer, and she's headed home to her favorite show, Tonda. Okay. Aww, okay. So what happens next is debated because some people say she was targeted by Hiroshi on this night because of all the things I just said. But some people say this is all just Junko being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay. Okay. We're not sure, you know, those two things are, are highly debated, but anyways, Whatever happens, we get to this point on the night of November 25th, 1988, when Junko is, you know, giddy, singing, dancing, heading home from her job at the plastics factory and ready to watch Tondo. And her life is about to change. Okay. So Hiroshi and Shinji, uh, Shinji his friend Shinji, who at the, at the time his name was Nabaharu Minato. But he does change his name to Shinji after he gets out of prison later. But oh, so, okay. Yeah, uh, he, tr- he tries. He tries to evade anything uh, by changing his name. But that we'll talk about that later. So anyway, we got Hiroshi and we got Shinji, and Shinji is one of the friends that is in the lower rung of the yakuza. Okay, so they they had already raped a girl recently and they got completely away with it so they're feeling pretty bold and they see Junko and they decide they're going to rob her and rank her okay or rob her and rape her uh so they're like rob and rank so Hiroshi is god uh Hiroshi says you know what I need you to do is go over to Junko and pretend like you're gonna steal her bike like kick her off the bike and I'm going to swoop in like the hero and you're going to take off. And then, you know, I'll have full access to her at this point because I'll have earned her trust. Okay. So <clears throat> this it's, I, I just want to throw this in cause it's just gross, but Hiroshi was actually engaged to one, one of these guys, sisters, but the sister broke off the engagement because of all of his uh, sexual crimes Oh, okay. Like yeah. She, she knew that he'd been he'd be out there raping girls, okay? And she broke it off because it's like you're just doing it too much. Because he's it, a piece of poop. Right. When it more like you're cheating on me. Like Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, all right. No cheating. <laughs> right. It, like like that was the part that bought, you know, I don't know. Turn right. it in. Uh, anyways so as planned Shinji attacks Junko and Hiroshi appeared out of nowhere and saves her okay after convincing her that she was still in in danger uh like if I leave you he could come back kind of thing she does relent um and allow him to walk her home so now there's three possibilities as to why she she did agree to this um, he is a familiar face that she recognized from school. So maybe she did feel safe. There's safety in familiarity. Um, even when it's just fake. Safety, right. But maybe she's a lie. 
Right. Uh, there's also the possibility that she was still just in shock at what had just happened. Like, what? What did I just, what just happened here? You know, so she's like, uh, okay, sure. You know, maybe that's why. The third is that she knew of his Yakuza ties and she was afraid to turn down the help. No matter, okay. no matter which one it was, she took him up on the offer, unfortunately. <clears throat> so en route to her house, Hiroshi attacks and drags Junko into a warehouse where he brutally rapes the 16-year-old girl. And I mean brutally. She's a virgin. All of this is just traumatizing. Okay? But instead of turning her free like he always had prior, he takes her to a hotel where she is raped again. Now, keep in mind, she did not struggle she didn't, you know, like most victims, she was compliant. And, Aww. you know, we could debate whether, whether or not being compliant or non-compliant is a good or bad idea. You know, some people say, no, scream, yell out, you know, but other people say, no, be compliant. You know, I, I guess because of how young she was and how traumatizing this was, she just wanted to be released. So she just, she thought if she went along with it, I guess, you know, that she'd be okay. But it's at this point at the hotel room um, that he gets his three accomplices involved. Oh, no. So he calls from the hotel room. He calls uh, Shinji and two other guys, Joe Agura and Yasushi Wantanabe. And he is bragging about his crime to them. And the Aguro guy... Um, He's reported to have told Hiroshi at this point to keep her in captivity so they could get, you know, a turn and so that they could also offer her over to the Yakuza for use um, and, and win them points. Yeah, and win them some points. And since Hiroshi's this huge wannabe, he's like, yes, let's do that. All right. So Junko has been raped brutally twice now and she's sitting there listening to her attacker brag on the phone to his friends and offer her to his friends and uh, gang members. Mm. Let that that idea of that just sink in for a second. Horrifying. Um, All right. Hold on. Y'all get out. <laughs> Let me just burst through the door. My bad. All right. So Hiroshi takes Junko to a nearby park to meet up with his three friends. They go through all of her stuff, her book bag, and they find her her uh, address. And they're like, you know, we'll just head over there if you if you try to turn us in or run. You know, we'll just head over to your house and kill your entire family. No oh big my deal. God. So she is just horrified. They threatened her. She does not try to escape. She does not try to run at all. She is horrified. Poor little thing. She thinks the you know, and she doesn't know that they're like lower Yakuza. She just knows they're Yakuza. And she's thinking the Yakuza will come at my family. Right. And it's horrified her. Yeah. Yeah. So she's terrified of the Yakuza and completely traumatized by what has transpired. Junko does as she's told and 
doesn't make a sound and the party moves to Shinji's house. It's actually oh it's actually his parents' house, but I'll hit on that in just a second. This house is their normal hangout. So this would have been this would have not been out of the ordinary to all show up there. <clears throat> and not not only that, not necessarily weird to have a girl with them. Um, I don't know what kind of shape she's in, but I imagine that she's looking rough. But even in that, they said it wouldn't have been unusual. Uh, she is taken to a room on the second floor of this home. And here she is for a short time referred to as Shinji's girlfriend. Um, you know, in front of the parents, Monado's parents, they don't seem to care. So they drop that act pretty quickly. You know, they first to try to cover up why she's there. They're like, this is my girlfriend. And the parents, they don't, they don't give a shit. So they just kind of drop it. So this guy's, this guy's is quickly dropped. All right. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you just don't care about a beat up girl in your home. Right. They just don't give a shit. Okay. Yeah. The, oh, this gets more peculiar as the story continues because the parents always know what's going on in the home. And mm. I don't know. They believe or are, people believe that they're afraid of Shinji's temper and his like Yakuza connections. Again, I don't oh. know. I don't know that this lower rung is that powerful or maybe they are super power. I don't know. Maybe they got a lot more power than I'm giving them credit for. But uh, I don't know. They're just they're the clearly, name. Yeah, it terrifies them. But also they were afraid of losing face in the community. They didn't want this to get out that oh. this was going on. Because they were a little, they were well known in the community. They were, um, they were well to do, and they're, that's kind of what it's why they believe they kept it shut, their mouth shut. Uh, so keep this all in mind as we continue with this story. The parents always know, and Shinji has a younger brother, and he also is is involved. So oh my god, because this story is about to get really bad. Oh. Uh, like how Chris you just, talk, you just talked about rape twice how does it get any worse than that it gets way worse um so keep in mind buckle all up these, buttercup. all these people know all these people know that this is going on okay so and we're gonna start ramping up what's happening here so again warning um it's it's in this home that the rapes really ramp up um mm. Now, to humiliate her, they've shaved her body hair. Uh, they also force her to remain naked. Junko being repeatedly raped by a large group of men. Okay, a large group of men. It's not like porn where you're like, uh, you know, it's, it's not like that. It, it, multiple rapes are so traumatic to this young girl's insides. She's being just... This is horrifying. This is just absolutely bad. Um, so she's basically gang raped over and over again. The di the damage to her tiny little body is becoming more and more apparent on the outside. Um, you know that it Poor it's baby. hard on anyone, let alone a sixteen year old. Um, and this organ damage is is irreversible. So 
she starts to suffer some really bad organ damage uh, and her body starts to break down. Um, now, I'm not just talking vaginal. She is raped in every orifice of her body. It, it, when I talk about things being inserted into her, I'm talking, you know, mouth, ears, vagina, anus. Oh, my God. Her anus, all of that. So absolutely nothing is sacred in this story, okay? Uh, November 27th, 1988, her parents contact the police to inform them that their daughter has been missing a sufficient number of days to call in a missing person. Um, her parents are beside themselves. They're absolutely beside themselves. Junko was a model child. She never ran off. She never did things like this. She was a sweet pea. Yeah, they explain all this to the police, begging for any help. You know, she never misses school. She never misses work. Uh, it appears that these Yakuza connections that these boys have, it does kind of pay off for this because it they do get alerted that a missing person report has been made for Junko. Um, and that they're okay. they're going to be looking in their direction. I mean, there's always corrupt cops or informants with big cops mafia. that are in the Yakuza. Right. Or yeah, anything like that. So it does word does get out or does get to the boys that, you know. The police know she's missing at this point, and they are looking in your direction. Nowhere to run. Yeah. So the four boys make Junko call her parents and tell them she is run off with a friend and that they need to call the police off because it's a waste of time and money. Uh, oh. She's she's okay and everything. And Does she do two, it? two things result from this call. Uh, when the police do show up at the house they're really easy to get rid of the parents deny 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 and the police are like okay fine by oh. me the second thing that happens is that the police close her file <gasps> so they tell you know due to junko's parents telling them about this phone call at this point uh, i just can't imagine being any player in this but being junko and knowing that no one is looking for you anymore being yeah, the that's horrendous being the parents having so many questions and no answers like i don't i don't know which is harder i, I don't know um like i i would rather be if i had to think about my daughter being missing anyways I, I, yeah no I, i'm like trying to wrap my head around that there's no way they could believe that she just they, ran away it's so weird that they tell that well they i don't know that they believed it but they did tell the police like she did call us and she told us this now whether they said i don't believe it that something's not adding up whatever right I, no telling what they told the police but they did tell them about the phone call and they closed her file they stopped they stopped looking for her right then and there they might have been scared of the yakuza too absolutely absolutely um i don't know Who i don't know why knows? but I, i'm disgusted yeah so the sad reality now is that she is completely at her captor's mercy and they absolutely have none they have no mercy they keep junko for 44 days for 44 days she is tortured monado's parents know this is happening the entire time 
fear allowed all of this to take place. Imagine being so afraid of your kid. You're allowing 44 days of torture. Absolute torture. That's ridiculous. Turn his ass in. Yeah. Uh, okay so what happened to her let's get into that and on top of constant rape removing all of her body hair and keeping her naked we have a pretty vile list of tortures Mm. she is forced to sleep on a patio outside oh my god like an upstairs patio and we're talking freezing cold weather Uh, how did mm. nobody see her out there i don't I don't know. I don't know if that, you know, they do. I have pictures of the house. I don't know if this patio is just not seen from anywhere. I don't know. But that's where she was sleeping naked in the cold. Oh, my God. They would make her dance and sing and masturbate in front of them and all of their friends, which is just humiliating. Yeah. And we're talking, again, every orifice on this body these kids started bragging about having a slave that they could charge money to play and torture if you pleased you know so they they kind of put it out there that for a a fee you could do whatever you want get the heck out of here yeah when it's all said and done it is believed she was raped by over 30 yakuza what some say upwards of a hundred men over 500 times over a hundred over a hundred people knew she was captive and being tortured and did nothing about it tortured tortured we do have one guy that didn't feel right about what he saw and he told his brother and his parents and the parents did the right thing uh but like mentioned above the monados denied and turned the police away again so we do have one. So the Monados are guilty AF. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. They knew she was captive. Mm-hmm. They knew about. Well, when I start, I'm going to start going into all these tortures right now and how you would not know this is going on in your house. So, yes, they absolutely knew. She was... She was at, humiliated in every way she could. They would urinate on her. Um, they would drop dumbbells on her stomach. Um, now from, from here, it's going to get really bad. So here we go. She was beaten with bamboo and iron rods or even golf clubs. She was kicked, stomped on. She would be forced to drink alcohol, forced to inhale paint thinner. Her hands and fingers were smashed with weights, crippling them. Her face was constantly smashed into a concrete floor she was forced to eat bugs and drink her own urine burned with cigarettes she would have firecrackers set off in all of the orifices of her body leaving oh my god so they would put firecrackers in her ears mouth uh her anus and vagina and it left horrible damage to all of those orifices in fact, they seem to really love inserting foreign objects into her. Things like iron rods, scissors, and even hot light bulbs into her anus. The light bulbs would rupture inside of her. Hot and, light bulbs? Yes. The fact uh, when she, she had her autopsy, light bulb glass was found inside her anus oh uh, and inside her vagina. Um. 
they would put lit matches inside of her, lit cigarettes. They even inserted skewers, like <gasps> like like the skewers you roast meat on on your grill. Like inserted those into her. Ew. Now, how? Where? Did they pierce her with them? Yes. All this oh. stuff is being forced in. It's not. They don't give a shit what the science is about how far you can go with things. Oh. So. Then she, uh, she's got, she's being tied and hung from the ceiling and used as a punching bag. She had an abnormally high amount of internal bleeding. It was coming out of her mouth. Oh my God. She did try to get help once. Before she was completely crippled, she got to the phone and dialed the emergency number. Hiroshi caught up to her and slammed the phone down. When the emergency services called back, he just said it was a misdial. And they were so, they were good with that. So wow, yeah, she Who was the caught, f- when she was caught when she was caught doing this. They poured flammable liquid on her arms and legs and set them on fire. Oh my god! Her eyelids were burned so many times with cigarettes and candle wax. They eventually swole shut. Oh. They tore one of her nipples off with pliers. Jesus. They shoved sewing needles into her breast, destroying all the tissue. Oh, my God. When she was being tortured, she would lose consciousness. Uh, And because of that, they kept a bucket of cold water there to revive her. So she was awake the whole time. Wow. At this point, she is still able to get to the bathroom, though she has to crawl. And the bathroom is downstairs. But that won't last long. The last time she tried, she wasn't able to make it before her her bladder and bowels. uh, She lost control of them uh, on her way to the bathroom. So from this moment forward, she's completely incontinent. Um, She was also hemorrhaging hemorrhaging from every orifice at this point. Uh, Her her nose was so filled with dried blood (sighs) that she... She couldn't breathe out of it any longer. Um, How long can she last like this? You'll see. Um, And when she... Oh, all of her organs begin to shut down. And uh, so the first organs that start to shut down have to do with, like, digesting food and things. So she... Her body rejects food. And then her body starts to reject water as well. So once, you know... Once she dehydrates, that's really she's definitely that's done. The but, end of it. Oh, baby. But she's still going at this point, even though her body is rejecting, starting to reject things. Um, eardrums are ruptured. Good Absolutely. Ruptured. So she even, was deaf. Yeah. So that and she also in her autopsy, her brain had reduced dramatically in size, which happens with uh, dehydration. Oh, okay. Um, I was going to say, how the hell did that happen? Yeah. At this point, um, sorry, eventually it hit a point where she wasn't able to move at all. So she just voided herself and, you know, voided herself. Yeah. She would just, she would just lay there and, and she would void her bowels and bladder. Oh, okay. That's Uh, what I thought you meant, but I had to ask. If they knew she was going to urinate, like, and I don't know how, but they would catch it in a cup and they would, like, try to force her to drink it. So, it said, like, it's, 
it was said that like at the 10 day mark, she couldn't use her hands at the 20 day mark. She couldn't use her legs at the 30 day mark. She can no longer control anything in her body. Okay. So that's wow. kind of walk, walking you through. She was so unrecognizable. Unrecon- the boys didn't even want to rape her anymore. She smelled like decay. She was literally rotting away and still alive. She was right. She's septic at this point. So they don't even want, they don't want to rape her. They just, they don't want her anymore. So I could only imagine the smell. I'm back. Yeah. Sorry about that. Stuff like, when stuff happens, I'm just gonna disconnect because I don't like editing stuff. So, anyway, I'm sorry. We're I don't back. Know how, I don't know how the phone call got through. Oh, uh, uh, truth be told. So at this point, Junko's septic. Okay, Poor she's baby. got no control over her body, and they don't want her anymore. So they're they're actually going out and raping other girls now. Oh. So, you know yeah so they're at this point they're they're not doing she's just sitting in that bedroom rotting all right alive dying right by december they they just they can't get anything from her so they just beat her worse just for fun i mean all she really is is like a bag of no, just just a sack of nothing like so they're just beating her constantly for no reason they put plastic around her hands because she is covered in sores okay she's got sores just oozing so they and they don't want that shit on them so they like they put plastic around her hands and things so she can't touch them with her rotting flesh Ugh, okay that's awful it gets so bad Junko begins begging them to just kill her but they don't. She's she's just like, just kill me, please, just kill me. And they're just dragging it out. On January 1st of 1989, it is believed that Junko is invited to play a game of Mahjong with her captors because they loved playing Mahjong. Uh, but she is alleged to have beat them pretty bad. And for this one, she never fully recovers. They beat her, uh, put lit candles into her eyes. Jesus. They pour lighter fluid on her legs, her arms, her face. Uh, I gotta close the damn dogs out again. And she is, again, set on fire. God, damn, the dogs have the worst timing ever. Like, I have to tell you that this poor girl has just been set on fire. And here comes a pup. <sighs> yeah, so... It- at first it said she tried to put out the flames you know she's been set on fire because she won a game of mahjong so she tries to set her her put her the flames out pat herself out but then she eventually just stops and just lays there and takes it yeah what she just gives up like at that point she's done Mm. yeah so on on january 4th january 4th 1989 Junko finally succumbs to all of her injuries that is the 44 day mark wow so she's she lasted 44 days it's just hell yeah so her uh Shinji's brother 
goes into the room and figures out she's dead and he's like oh shit so he calls them he's like hey you need to do something with this dead body she's she's dead now you've got to get rid of it so what they do next actually who keeps letting the dogs back in probably your child happy mother's day yeah exactly so what they do next actually helps uh what they did okay so what they did with the body next it preserves the body so that we know all this happened to her had they had they put her in a bag and weighted it and thrown her in the ocean we would never know right any of this happened but what they do with the body next is why we know so well thank you what happened to her stupid exactly thank you very much so what they did is they put her in a suitcase and then, in the, well, they wrapped her in a blanket, put her in a suitcase, then placed that suitcase into an oil drum and filled the oil drum with concrete. So she is just sealed up like a little time capsule. And then they just dispose of her body at some like, uh, it was like a construction site in Tokyo. That And that was it. Like, even like she, the, you, you'll see the, the oil drum her hair was sticking out of it when they found it. Oh my God. So was any justice ever served for Junko? I hope so. This part is even worse than what Stop I've been it. describing to you. What do you mean? Okay. How could so, it be any worse? So arrests do come. All right. The body is found. They actually turn themselves in inadvertently. Oh, really? Um, so how this happens is Hiroshi is arrested for the rape of the girl that happened while Junko was still alive in December. Um, Hiroshi's so stupid that he gets confused and he thinks that may- that someone's turned him in for Junko's uh, rapes oh, you're when, so when they're dumb. actually talking about a different one. So he does, he turns himself and everyone else in uh, and the police weren't even looking for Junko at this point, remember? So they're completely. Oh, cool. yeah. Right. They had closed her file. So the police follow Hiroshi to the place they dump the body and find the barrel. And they see Junko's hair sticking out of the concrete. They had essentially sealed all the evidence in the concrete, which is how this case got its name. The concrete encased high school girl murder case. I'm so glad they found her. It just rolls off the tongue. They could pull all kinds of DNA off of her. So they, they, when it all, like when it came to identifying her body, she luckily did have some of her fingerprint left. Her dental records were really hard to match because she had lost most of her teeth. All four, all four boys were arrested quickly. And because of the preserved DNA, a lot of others were indicted later. The trials, um, the trials are almost as disgusting. So because of their age, and the severity of their crime, the police did not release the boys' names. However, the press did do a lot of digging. And when they found the, the four kids' names, they put their pictures and their names on blast on TV. So Good. everyone knew who they were. <clears throat> yeah, just awesome. Um, so in July of 1990, Hiroshi Miyano gets 17 years in jail. He appeals this because of his age, 
but the court adds three years to it, so he gets 20 years. He was 18 at the time of the murder. His mother paid out uh, 50 million yen, around $425,000 U.S., so after selling her house, she had to pay out all these civil damage lawsuits. Um, Miano was denied parole in 20, 2004, but was released in 2009. So he was free as of 2009. Wow. Nabaharu or Shinji Minato received four to six years. It all happened at his house, remember. He also appealed that decision, but was given an additional five to nine years. He was 16 at the time of the crime. His parents and brother never received any charges. It is also reported that his mother was so pissed about what Junko had done to her son's life that she uh, destroyed her grave out of spite. Junko's grave? Mm-hmm. She blamed Junko for her son having to go to prison and, you know, losing their fall from grace because of this. So, yeah, she did. She did vandalize Junko's grave. Wow. After his release, he moved back in with his mom, but was arrested again in 2018 for an attempted murder. Uh, Yasushi Watanabe originally got three to four years, but appealed and he got five to seven so five to seven years joe aguro got eight years and because all the three people ahead of them had appealed and did poorly because of that he decided not to appeal that at all all men have had shady lives since then um that's how we know about where they've been because they have a criminal record we can follow uh one of them does fall off the face of the earth that would be the Yasushi Watanabe. He just kind of disappears. So he clearly had more of a straight and narrow after he got out of jail. But we're talking most of these guys were out of jail before they hit their 25th birthday. Wow. Junko never got to start her dream job after her graduation that she just was so proud of. But her new employer did send her uniform over anyways. And Aww. Junko... Junko was buried in her work uniform. Oh, her work uniform? Yep. She was so proud of her new job that she had gotten. And Aww. so she was buried in her new work uniform. And that is the end of Junko Faruta's story. Uh, it is just the most horrifying um, the most horrifying murder I've ever heard. That's yeah, and yes, that sounds really basic white woman to say. Well, that's the you know, like I've got a list of murders that have you know in severity, but <laughs> whatever. Right, right. There, I've that, heard a lot of them, and that is the worst. It's awful, <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, I mean the fear. But she sounds so brave, so brave that. She- you know, she only tried to get out once. She she died. She, at least she, you know, she died without ah, shit. I'm trying to find any sort of silver lining. There is none. But you know, she, I'm she sure. She was very, very brave. She was very strong and brave. She was brave. And I'm sure that she was given so much peace. Oh, 
when she crossed over. Like the fact that she was at first trying to put the flames out and then just stops and lays, mm. puts her arms down and lays there. You That's freaking ridiculous. She was done at that point. Could you imagine being burnt? I can't imagine being the parent. I can't imagine being the mom that has to hear that in court. No, God, her poor mom. And then knowing that all four of those boys got out of prison. Ever. Like, I would want them in prison for the rest of their lives. Without a doubt. And the fact that, that they were able to live pretty normal lives. That's nuts. Yeah. Even Hiroshi. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's still out there. I mean, he and that telling this story is horrifying because all four of these people are still out there. They live in the public. They, you know, they're, they're out there. And uh, they've heard this story being told many times. I mean, the one Shinji tried to change his identity, but we know he changed his name to Shinji. So it's not a secret you know what i mean right fuck you shinji all of them like they're it's terrifying that hiroshi is out there it's terrifying that people are cool with torturing another human being like that i just don't even understand well the 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 thought of fear in someone else just and, and pain and anguish like it's just horrifying to me now the cycle the psychology of this being the the gang mentality you know you only need one psychopath to lead a whole bunch of followers no doubt those those, you know just because every one of them is performing something just unnatural and and horrifying to people doesn't mean that they're all psychopaths you know they might go home and feel really bad about it you know but no they're just they're, sheep yeah they're, yeah they're in they're in the crowd they have to follow they're scared yeah of hiroshi oh, yeah. yeah not every single one of those 100 people were psychopaths i don't know it was That's just a awful. gang mentality it, i you suppose know. i suppose i mean that's a lot of people you know it really a crime we all have people who go nuts and confess to crimes when there's only been two people involved imagine trying to keep a hundred people quiet about a crime that's been going on yeah but they're all criminals for 44 days right that's insanity for four that it's a long amount of time and a lot of people that have to stay quiet right i don't know and the fact that when when the cops found out about it they weren't even looking for her at all it just makes it worse i don't know i I don't know there's just nothing redeemable about that one really there's not there's not and like justice really wasn't served for her and that's awful not at all the well chat japan is really big on reforming um okay i dig i dig okay so and because these boys were 18 and under you know they were they weren't put to life they were put to like 
reforming. They got lucky, I guess, if they had been a little bit older, maybe they would have gotten something more severe. But at that point, because they were teens, you know, they wanted to re- reform. Gosh, but when do you get to the point where something is just so heinous? It's just like unforgivable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For 40, mm. uh, again, 44 days, over a month of torture. Awful. Uh, but Junko, I hope you are resting well. And to your parents and family, uh, words can never explain how, I mean, I just, mm -mm. just bad. That's horrendous. Yeah. I don't really have anything to say. Like, but I guess that's where, why this one was so hard last week too. It's just like, I don't even, I got nothing to say. Uh, it's just so bad. There's no, it's just so bad. Yeah. There's no, uh, debating it. There's, it's just bad. Fabulous. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Thank you. I hope. God. Jeez Louise. I apologize. Um, all right. So next week I'm going to. Uh, holy shit. I know. I don't know what happened to my. All right. Well, we won't figure that out. We'll just say goodbye. All right. Nope. Oh, lovely. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye.